Hello, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Innovation. On today's show, Michelle Pekinski, VP Digital Innovation at Ulta Beauty, joins Brian and I for a discussion about Ulta's innovation culture. We talk about the two acquisitions Ulta made in the last three years and how that helped fuel the innovation culture. We get into an interesting discussion about where the innovation team should sit and the type of, of person that should staff it. Give it a listen and let us know what you think. Hey, Brian, how you doing today? Doing great, Jeff. How are you? You know, fantastic. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, this week in innovation.com is up. Yeah. I, our, our, our website I is think. up. And in honor of you, Brian, it is all done in low, maybe even no code. So I have now, you've now converted me. You converted an old analyst. I am a, the biggest fan of low code you've ever seen because that is crazy how easy it is to do some pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, Jeff, I fully agree. I think it's uh, low code is on about giving you know people the power to do what they want, regardless of what role folks are in. It's all about creativity, right? Low code gives you that creative outlet to, to get to market a lot faster. Talking about low code and innovation, we are super excited to have Michelle Bakinski with us here. Michelle is the vice president of digital innovation, and she's leading an amazing team of innovators, leaders, and entrepreneurs. She's put together a, a very active team that's putting out innovation to market. And welcome, Michelle. Hey, Brian. Hey, Jeff. Thanks a lot. You guys really appreciate uh, you inviting me to uh, join the conversation. Awesome, Michelle. And then we are so thankful to have you as well. And I bet a lot of our listeners would uh, love to hear your journey in this in the innovation space. In, in this innovation space, tell us a little bit about your journey, Michelle. From because you are a retail veteran, you've been in retail for a very long time, and uh, now you are playing a, a different, quite a different role in Altap in terms of innovation. How do you get here? And and tell us a little bit about your innovation group as well and your efforts. I would love to, Brian. First of all, I do have a long career in retail. I actually started my career in retail in the hospitality industry as a teenager working for my entrepreneurial father who had his own restaurant chain. So I started in retail very early, but I got into technology right out of college, math major, computer science minor. And I started my career working for really what would now be called a startup. So I did everything from hardware setup and configuration, requirements definition, you, you name it. The entire software development life cycle, I had the opportunity to really learn and work with all aspects of the life cycle. But my first stint in innovation was at that startup. So I actually oversaw a what was called, essentially, it was new products. And what we were doing is that we were developing whole complete functional systems for the commercial office products industry. So that was really my first foray into innovation. But if we fast forward back to retail, because I have been in retail for a long time following that initial foray is with the company that was in the startup space. Here, I am now currently with Ulta Beauty, and I've been with Ulta a little over nine years, starting with them as their vice president of guest-facing systems. So I did that, which basically the role oversaw store systems, marketing, e-commerce, and mobility. And then three years ago, we decided to form a dedicated digital innovation team. 
So myself and a couple of other members of Ulta Beauty's team recommended and put forth the business case to have a dedicated digital innovation team. And that really was to support the company's commitment to accelerate our future capabilities. So that's a long career in retail and, and a background in innovation as well. Thank you, Michelle. Well, this is actually really interesting, this whole journey of how you put together a team, because I had the privilege of being close to this journey and working with your teams. One of the questions I have is, what is at stake for companies in terms of innovation and thinking about innovation and how to do digital transformation differently? What is at stake? And uh, what are some of the steps that companies should take? Yeah, this is what I would say is at stake, is that when I oversaw guest-facing systems in IT. There's innovation happening all, you know, all across Ulta Beauty. And certainly in guest-facing systems, it wasn't that we weren't looking at forward-facing net new capabilities. But it was, it was basically in our spare time. If something wasn't really a part of an annual business planning process where we went through governance and we vetted and prioritized all the projects, for the most part, then we were doing things in our spare time. And I think what's at stake in doing that is because of the rate of change digitally, we really miss the opportunities to be relevant. And by the time we get around to looking at things that are already there and getting used by so many people, we really miss out on opportunities to more directly engage with people in our, in this example, as a retailer to engage with our guests and to be relevant. So for sure, I think that spending time and not only working on things that have been planned and are important from a business perspective, but really focusing on our guest and putting the guest at the center of what we do and be and fo- spending time on current day and the future and where things are going. If we don't do that, we will we'll lose our relevance. So I, I love the fact, Michelle, that you are talking about the, the guest and the, important of the or importance of the guest because Altair is all about the guest, right? It's a, it's a really superior premium experience. But as you are going through the journey and as you built your, your groups and your initiatives, what are some of the challenges that typical innovation organizations face and how do we, how do, how to overcome them? Because I think there is a, innovation is really interesting, right? Because I think there is always a, a pressure to bring things to market at the same time, also to do things right and do things fast. So there's a lot of different elements that all mix uh, together. And what would your advice be? So a couple of things, Brian, come to mind related to challenges with innovation in general, let alone rapid uh, innovation. But for me, I would say one is just gaining the support from the enterprise. Now that I'm overseeing started a digital innovation team, I refer to the rest of the organization as the enterprise not that that's negative, but gaining support from the enterprise to operate in a different way, to really operate in a different manner, and to be able to test and learn, experiment more readily, fail fast, as they say. I think that's, I think that's a 
challenge, but I think that really an unlock or a little bit of a, that there's the challenge, but the advice would be super important is where we position digital innovation. When it was formed, we sit in the business and that's very intentional. So we sit in the business. We did have the conversation about where the organization should be. And the reason it is in the business is because we did not want to be doing tech for tech's sake. We really wanted to be applying technology to strategic business initiatives that were very guest-centric. And I think by doing that and being a part of the business and really keeping a part of everything we're doing, what's in it for the guest, we've earned you know, the support that we need to do things differently. I would also say that I think it's super important, right, that the agenda, whatever the agenda it is, whether it's digital innovation or another team, you've got to have the right level of support, right? You need, if you're going to start something new, embark on new things, you really do need to have positioned properly your key supporters in the company so that when you're doing things that maybe aren't what's typical, like acquiring companies, which we we basically acquired, did the first acquisitions for Alta Beauty. And I'm not sure that we I would really have had the support for that had we not been in the business and had not had we not also been focused and really stood up to address guest needs. The takeaway I would say, like again, and there's a few other things for sure, but one, you know. You need to have the right people to support these these initiatives. You need to be positioned properly in the organization. I think that's something really to to think about and to make sure that when you're doing something net new, that you've got people that are going to you know provide the backing and clear the way for things that are going to be different than the way that the enterprise operates. Actually, Michelle, I love that the point that you were saying, one of the points, especially the, this core concept of being in the business. Jeff, if you remember from our prior podcast, we've always discussed these topics of where does a digital organization in tech versus the business teams versus, versus various operations and strategy teams. I think this is really an interesting and important point, I think, that we should look at. Yeah, for sure, Brian. Just the idea of being positioned correctly and then having uh, buy-in. Michelle, when I think of innovative retailers, Ulta is in that first tier of maybe 10 or 15 retailers that are very innovative. How do you set up an innovation team? How did that all come about? So your senior leadership is has been very aggressive about doing CRM and some other things, but where did that idea come from? And then how did you drive that? How did that all net out? Yeah, and it, it came from many conversations between myself, one of my business partners, right? Because again, remember that I was in IT, so I had four different business partners that I interacted with. And it came from conversations, you know, like kind of a, a conversation between a technologist and myself, a deep business digital individual in a person who, again, was my business, one of my business partners now, um, someone that I report to as the our chief digital officer, and then the head of strategy. So bringing the like the technology combined with the business and saying, and how do we really make this a little bit more strategic? We really felt like we didn't have enough time to 
look towards the future and to be really knowledgeable about what was happening in a really meaningful way with future technology, future experiences. So we felt very strong that it was to our strategic advantage to continue doing what the company had been doing from their beginning, which was to, in, to, which was to innovate. Because our whole model in retail is innovative. It's disruptive. It disrupted the beauty industry to bring together mass and prestige beauty products, a full complement of the assortment right through all categories and make it very accessible to guests so that they could experiment and learn more about beauty and see the beauty in themselves and in everyone. So we, at our roots, we are an innovative company. We think that way. And we think our underpinnings are bad. So this was a natural step to say from a digital perspective or more from a tech perspective, let's allow for a team to focus on where we strategically felt things were going, which is embracing more of digital. So we certainly, I would say we started and with anything, I think it's good to be practical. Maybe that's a little bit like coming from me. Probably people are laughing of hearing me say that. But I'm starting being practical about things rather than shoot for the moon initially. We certainly had that. But we started with a small team. And we definitely, I, I think the team is important. I think you can read a lot of things about who should be on innovation teams. The reality of it is that everybody is innovating. But I think that curiosity is for sure is necessary. You really have to have that insatiable curiosity. You have to love technology. So gathering a group of people that they really do, they love to, they love to play around on anything that's current, social sites, they love to look at the trends, they love to, they just really, they love technology and they like to play around with it, they're curious. We but we started with a small team and then in many ways, I feel like, I do feel like even in with innovation, there has to be a little bit of luck. Hmm. And I think you have to basically have your antenna up. If you see something, if it makes sense to you for like using your gut, you capitalize on things that seem to just the stars seem to have aligned. And so we started small, but then there was an opportunity to accelerate some of the, techni the technological pieces that we were interested in by doing acquisitions. And so we took a leap of faith. We, we made a couple of acquisitions. We made a couple of investments. And it really was another catalyst behind a lot of the things that we have been delivering over the past couple of years. So, Michelle, one thought that I had in here, I think, which was very unique in the Alta journey and which is very interesting in the, in the path that you followed. In Alta, you guys really embraced entrepreneurs, right? Both from a digital tech side as well as even from the brand side in the, in the beauty and brands and embracing new brands into the Alta fold and family. Tell me about your experience in terms of, because you work, you've had the entrepreneurial journey before. Tell me from, from your experience, what sort of learning did you gather by especially by acquiring companies and working with entrepreneurs and how did that shape and form and change your journey 
on that do your journey? Great question, Brian. Really great question. And I talked a little bit about luck. I also think that when thinking about it, for sure, you have to take some risks. And I think that so being not afraid to take a risk and also in looking at entrepreneurs, founders that who have big ideas, what's the thing that I have learned, and I think all of us at Alta Beauty, is that culture really matters. It really matters. When we, when we connected with the two startups that we acquired, one of them, of course, had been our uh, business partner for Virtual Tryon for a couple of years because we launched that in 2016, long before it was really a thing. And the thing that really struck all of us at one point where we were thinking about the acquisitions is there was a serendipitous moment where we realized we were really were all very similar. There was a like-mindedness. There was the curiosity. There was the love of technology. There were many things that really connect the care for people in these founders, the care for their teams in basically providing opportunities for them and certainly creating breakthrough capabilities. That was there, but it was those kinds of attitudes and the and spirits that were very similar to Alta Beauties. And I think when we we did the acquisitions, it's now three years later. And I do think that like that gut reaction of knowing that was people that really had similar values and similar missions. I think that was, I'm, I'm not saying that's always going to happen. There has to, maybe there was again, a little bit of luck, but I think that if you find that, I think that's a key thing that if you can find, you know, the like not mindedness and, and similar cultural values, it really creates a winning team. Michelle, can we unpack those two acquisitions? Those were two tech acquisitions, right? Not similar retailers. They were. We did. The first one that I spoke about was the acquisition of our virtual try-on partner, Glam Street. And Glam Street, essentially, they had virtual try-on for makeup. And we had been running that platform for a couple of years. And then we acquired them in 2018. And that is what, I mean, the, the technology, the assets, the team is what is behind Glam Lab. There are a lot of PR around Glam Lab and our capability there for makeup try-on, as well as we launched a skin advisor. So we have a similar capability around skin. And we do the same thing with skin tone and foundation, and that's all a result of that acquisition on Glam Street. The founder is she is she's Uruguayan, and in fact, we have a team, uh, a pretty decent sized development team in Uruguay, and that goes back to a little bit of right taking a risk. And knowing that the team was gelling because that acquisition has really unlocked our capabilities, augmented reality as it relates to Tryon and in the beauty industry, it's huge to be able to really understand what a look might be like, what it's going to be like on yourself, play with the products, right? That level of engagement is so important in beauty. That's been, it's just been, it's been great that we made that acquisition. The second one, it was a very small AI startup in Silicon Valley. And with that 
startup, what we saw is we saw the capability of unlocking the power of our data and being able to really drive further differentiation of our data to personalize it for our guests. And when we thought about doing that through visual characteristics, so combining what we had in Glam Street, Glam Lab, with Tryon, and backing that with data, and data that could be connected to what you look like, there's really nothing more personalized than that type of an experience. And so the acquisitions were an AI startup to really leverage the power of our data, an AR company that we were starting very much about facial image processing, but then we're connecting the two together to really create what we think are super differentiated experiences and beauty. Wow, that's crazy. I've been asked a bunch for augmented reality examples. I, I should have probably come to you then. It sounds like you've probably got one of the more interesting ones. Good to know that. Well, Jeff, and really it came, it scaled, that, that AR experience scaled even more so as a result of the pandemic. Who, who would have, we, none of us, we'd like that to be over with. I don't know when it's going to end, but hopefully. And, but the use of AR, particularly in beauty and being able to have that you know, capability at our fingertip when our stores were closed, when our guests could not experience and play experimentation and experiment with beauty, having Glam Lab and being able to use that as a tool so that they could continue to learn about the product, see what, you know, was the right product for them, you know, what they might look like. And again, match it up to their needs was just absolutely invaluable. So that for sure, that example, the AR example of Tryon and needing that in a world that was overnight, just the acceleration of digital and embracing digital capabilities was, you know, what was, I don't know, we hear some of the, the statistics on that. It moved things along by at least, what, three to five years, something like that. And the, and having that capability was, was really, really great for us. And I think that it also... There was an education process where guests also then began to learn. Our guests did. They learned, They used Glam Lab more. They interacted with it more. They saw it as a, as a really relevant tool because it had been there for a couple of years, but suddenly they needed a tool like that. And we had that not only available, but because of the acquisition and the formation of the digital innovation team, we accelerated the capabilities around virtual trial. And again, and then connecting that with, with data. Yeah, Brian and I have wrestled with how to frame in the the retail COVID experience and certainly nothing was a horrible thing for the entire world, but there's no question that was an accelerant for sure. And the retailers that are doing well, I don't know if we're out of it yet, but hopefully we're on the tail end, all had programs in place, not designed to take advantage of this crazy world we're in, but that digital expertise and capability was an accelerant. It was certainly lucky to already be in position with those assets when they were needed and then just experience that accelerant that COVID drove it to you, to you. The other thing I would say too, Jeff, there is that, right, would be that we definitely, as a digital innovation team, we doubled down. We looked at that and we saw that as an opportunity to, to catch up, if you will. We had resources that were available to us. We actually, there's a really, you know, cool story that we talk about publicly, which is that we had about a hundred people from our corporate office, from all aspects of the enterprise, helping us. And what they were doing is we had a backlog of product to be calibrated because every product 
requires additional information for it to be tried on properly with specific visual characteristics. What's the coverage? Like by having the color be right, et cetera. So it's called calibration. And what we did was we, over about, I think it was about a three, three month, three to five month period of time, we, by the end of the year, we had calibrated all of our color cosmetic products that could be. So anything that could be tried on, we calibrated it. So we caught up and it allowed us to basically say that anything that can be tried on, it was available in Glam Lab. And not only that, but then we put in place a process where when we're onboarding an item, selling it in a physical store, selling it online, we've also added the appropriate information so that it can be a part of our trial experience. And it's just a part of the regular product setup process. So looking for those opportunities, while I think that's something too, is that's why I say when you find an opportunity, if your gut tells you this is the right thing to be doing, I think you capitalize on it and being able to leverage a situation that wasn't great, like basically uh, turning that into something favorable really paid off for us. Going forward, do you, do you, will you get that calibration information from the vendors or is that something you'll, that process you'll have to continue? To- that is a great question. And ultimately, it's something where the, we, we, some of it we do get, right? Color, as an example, we do get a level of information that is already being provided. And, but, that it, but then it always has to be massaged a little. And one of the things that we're doing is we actually think that for something like that, once again, we can leverage the power of AI, and we can probably make the calibration process much more efficient. So days of having to set things up the traditional in a traditional method, we look to, again, leverage the power of some of the, th- the capabilities that we built in using AI, doing things like recognition of some of that. And for sure, there will always have to be a level of human supervision to guide the AI. But we think we probably can do things like that a little bit more efficiently than, than having people submit the information. Wow, fantastic. What about virtual reality? Do you have a play there? Do you see that as is significant? I know there's a lot of buzz, but boy, very limited examples in retail that I can find. Yeah, I think that maybe rather than it isn't that we don't think about it, isn't that we don't think about VR. We're probably not ready to to talk about how we think about VR. AR, we do think that the use of AR and creating immersive experiences for the physical store. We think quite a bit about that. And we do think that the processing of images is not just people. We do think that image processing in general and providing and being able to recognize things, to be able to recognize something and then provide information that's meaningful for our guests, as well as our beauty advisors in the store, that having there be really easy ways to use technology i.e. maybe a mobile device, and leverage both cameras, the one that's facing you and the one that's facing outwards, that the one that's facing outwards can discover a lot of things and bring relevant information to the hands of our guests and beauty advisors and doing things like that. We think that bringing the store to life, we think that's those are areas that we are pretty bullish on. 
Michelle, do you talk about the number of CRM records? I know at one point the number I think was twenty five million. Do you talk about that publicly? How, how what the number what that number is? We do. In fact, I mean we we have been north of thirty million for a while. We're actually we're well over thirty two million. Over thirty two, and we, and it's thirty two million guests in our loyalty program, Ultimate Rewards, and that is. 32 million active members. And so what we mean that we may again public knowledge is that the 32 million plus active members, that means that they have engaged with Ulta Beauty. They have made a purchase. They've done something in the last, you know, 12 months. And so the what's unique about this volume of information related to our guest is that's 32 plus million active loyalty members that are highly engaged with Alta, and they contribute to 95% of our sales, which in retail is amazing. And so what that means is that, again, if the guest is interested, if they really want an experience that's personalized, we know a lot about like, what we say is that we have, really do have a differentiated set. Because the majority of activity, we know, we, we know our guests. We know them. They're a part of our loyalty program. Then we have this breadth of a product assortment that includes services. And the mining of the data to tailor and to create relevant, differentiated experiences for those guests that want it, right? That they want that type of a personalized experience. That's what we can create because of the robustness of the, the, the loyalty membership and the number that the value of guests that are in it. So I have a question, Michelle, especially I think it'll be very valuable to our, our listeners. See, I think uh, what's really inter- interesting about, I watched uh, your innovation journey where you have the ability uh, within Alta to balance strategy and thought process and thought leadership with actual execution of go-to-markets and building prototypes and actually testing it out with customers, right? By, by either by working with entrepreneurs, with startups, with your internal dev teams, uh, leveraging low-code platforms and faster ways to go to market. What would your advice be for like leaders who are in this space? Because a lot of, one of the biggest challenges, Michelle, we've seen, Jeff and I, when we talk, this has happened even with, even at Iterate too, when John and I talk to leaders as well, is that, uh, the biggest challenge is there is a lot of interest, there's a lot of ideas, but how do you actually go to market? How do you actually test them out? How do you actually put the visions into action? Because that's been always been a big challenge in the innovation space. Great question, Brian. And I talked a little bit about, I think a little bit ago, I talked a little bit about, for sure, we can't continue to deliver capabilities the same way. I think that the, like it talked a little bit about, and particularly if we are to have, to have been granted the right to have a dedicated team doing something that is different than the company, we want to be ahead. We want to be guiding the way. We want to be breaking new ground. And we're the scouts that are out there trying to figure some things out that we, that ultimately, so that we can, you know, communicate that back to the enterprise. That's the way we see it. So. We, but so, so we definitely, we've got to look at how we streamline processes. 
We got to think differently. This is the way we we think about it. And we've got and we have the right to do this. So we should take the opportunity to take advantage of that. We need to improve our tools and we need to be learning sooner than later is what I would say. And the way that looks, and you used one example, but when we build something, the digital innovation team, outside of the couple of things that I was mentioning previously with Glam Lab, and then our ultimately from the AI acquisition, our personalization platform that we built is referred to as Quasi. So I'm not really talking about Glam Lab and Quasi because there we would have looked a little bit more like a traditional application development team, a little bit we were building out those capabilities so that we could actually drive experiment, more experimentation off of them. But to be able to quickly experiment, there was no way we could have done things like dabbled with digital mirrors, built chatbots. We could not have done it if we were basically running it like we ran an initiative with some of my former teams. So I do think that having a rapid application development tool, I think a low-code tool, we use one. And there is no question that we, we create things faster and can get them into an experimentation mode faster than if we would have just used traditional development tools. So I think that's super important. I think experimenting in general, I think this is actually a little bit of a journey that we're on because of the acquisitions and doing a fair amount of development. We are now, we're three years old, we are now pivoting and we are going back to, or starting again, if you will, and we want to be more purposefully experimental, right? We want to build up the capabilities again so that they can be leveraged as we did with Glam Lab in our virtual try-in or in the personalization platform in Quasi. And I think having a solid method, and here's where I think there is a balance of doing things differently, removing the roadblocks, using something like a low-code tool that gives you access to capabilities from, could be a capability from startups. It could be something that you build. And, but being able to do that quickly, that's super important. And then I think there is a little bit of process where things that you were going to experiment in, as we now have talked about pivoting to be more experimental, that we need to be clear on what it is that we're trying to learn. So we do think that having a little bit of a process, even with, within digital innovation, but being clear about why are we doing the experiment? What's our objective? Something as simple as setting the objective, having, what are we measuring? What do we want to learn? That's it. Like set the, set the objective, record what we learn and know what, you know, and not have an experiment that you, that, that never ends. It's like, we get in, we have an objective, we measure things, and then we determine, is it successful, is it not? If it's successful, it could continue with other iterations. If it's not successful, it's like end of the experiment. And I do think that, like I say, we're on a journey. I think we can still mature as it relates to being really good at quickly experimenting and getting lessons learned, you know, we definitely, we're not, we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. We have some old experiments that are still sitting out in our stores and we do need to know when we, we, we've learned, we've learned what we need to and move on to the next experiment.
So I think back to the kind of the beginning, definitely things need to change. Things need to be different. The, the tools that we use, the, if we get, if you can accelerate something like, again, we use a low code tool. It really does help us create things very quickly and it gets us to learning faster and determining whether or not we, like what we like to say is, you know, do we have a winning experiment or not? If it's a winner, then it's going to, it's going to carry on. And if not, then we'll move on to the next experiment. That's perfect, Michelle, because I think I love the way how, how you are thinking about experiments and how can leaders go to market and bring things quickly from a concept to actual implemented vision, which is really powerful. So one of the, one of the questions is, I think, Jeff, what would be really interesting is this time we should give Michelle the opportunity to answer the, if I am an innovation leader, after this podcast, what should I be doing on Monday? <laughs> because, Michelle, what happens is typically every one of our podcasts we close with this question. If you are an innovation leader, what should I be doing on Monday? And that question typically is answered by Jeff and I uh, in terms of we summarize the, the outputs and then we answer that question. But this time I wanted to change it a bit and ask you the question before we close out. If I am a new digital innovation leader hired in a retailer and I'm tasked with setting up a digital innovation team and setting up a, a digital innovation roadmap and a path to transform the company. What would I do on Monday? It's a bit of a loaded question, but I'm sure with your experience and, and, and your understanding, you can shed some light. Well, Brian, you know what? I'm sitting here and I'm basically thinking, don't miss out. Like you got to, just like we've been talking about, even that you have to, the old saying, strike while the iron is hot. I really do think that things have accelerated so quickly. If you are, again, going back to a little bit of the luck factor, but if you're lucky enough, and that's your mission, is to basically set up a team around innovation. First and foremost, I think you, you got to have the right mindset. The mindset is, it's that one it's not that the team itself, it's not the only place that innovation happens. So I think you definitely need to have the right, like the mentality champion uh, culture of innovation and see yourself as leading the way, finding things to basically really bring back to the entire organization so that it's more a culture of innovation. See the journey for the long term is that it's a mindset around doing some things differently, challenging the status quo. I think that what I do think that it is important to think about where, you know, where is that capability? Where does it live? And it, it, in, in certain organizations, maybe it's right that it lives in the technical team. It should live wherever it's got the support. Wherever you've got, you can garner the support and, and basically there, if you're surrounded by the people that will really clear the way and let you evolve that and champion, again, like your mission with creating the culture of innovation, see yourself as, again, the kind of the guiding light for this in the company. I think those are some of the things that I would say. And then I do think that you have to see it as a, it's your chance, it's an opportunity. I think the people, the kind of the people, certainly as always, people always make the difference. People always make a difference and it's all about the people. And so I would go back to Brian. It's not necessarily that somebody has to have a PhD or master's or deep in. You certainly you're going to need the technical experts along the way in the company. There's no doubt about that. You have to have some real current capabilities in AI and ML, et cetera. But 
curiosity is at the heart of it. Finding people that just, they have a true love of science. I talked about the mindset, but people that just almost jack of all trades. They're really curious people. I think that is also important. And then I would say that in the journey as you're going, it's, you know, keep your eyes wide open. You never know when there an opportunity, you know, presents itself. Similar to our opportunities with acquisitions, go with your gut and you got to have fun. You got to have fun. And then if you're going to basically wherever you go, make sure that you're having a lot of fun. That's what I would say. That's fantastic. That's uh, that is a perfect recap. Brian, any last questions? I think that might be the point. To, that might be the mic drop right there. No, absolutely. Have fun doing it. Follow your gut and have fun doing it. <laughs> it was amazing, Michelle. Thank you. Really appreciate it. It was great, Michelle. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. For more info, refer to the pod notes below. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review. It really helps us grow. I'm your host, Jeff Roster, analyst at large. If you want to connect, follow us on Twitter at JeffPR or at Brian Sathanation, or connect with us on LinkedIn. Visit my website at roster.retail.com or brians at iterate.ai. Until next time, stay safe and have a great week.